Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I love John chapter 11, verse 25. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. The question I pose today is, how often do we talk about the resurrection? I think it's um, something I don't hear discussed as often as I would like. And I, I love the topic. And joining me today in studio is Rick Mansett. Rick Matson and John Afonso. Rick is a national apologetic specialist and evangelism coach for InterVarsity. He's been with them for many years. He's author of Faith is Like Skydiving and Other Memorable Images for Dialogue with Seekers and Skeptics. And John Afonso, she is at Salem Covenant Church, worship and community life pastor. They often come together, and I'm always glad to have them with me. Rick, John, welcome. Hi. Thank Thanks, you, Bill. Bill. Yeah. Well, I love the topic today. You guys suggested it, and I love it. Oh, great. I'm glad you love the resurrection, Bill. That's really good. I think you can keep your and job you know, for another year. So. Yes, thank you. And I love that we're talking about it ahead of Easter, because I think right. it's something that we can start uh, marinating in our in our hearts right now, today, as we will discuss this and the significance, significance of it. That's right. Well, and uh, the reason that Rick and I ended up wanting to really begin, well, obviously Ash Wednesday is on Wednesday for those people who um, celebrate that. So the Lenten journey begins. So that seemed appropriate. But um, we feel like in the evangelical community, uh, and perhaps in the Catholic community, I want to be careful, but... um, there is a the, the resurrection sometimes seems to get underplayed. We talk a lot about the crucifixion. So I'm even thinking about when we share the evangelistic story, uh, if you do the bridge diagram or whatever your method mm-hmm. is of sharing the gospel, we often go to the cross mm-hmm. and then kind of at the end there's this little sentence about Jesus was resurrected mm-hmm. and now you can be saved kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But the emphasis is so strongly on the cross, which is beautiful. We don't want to diminish the cross, but we want to say that the cross actually is a tragedy unless the resurrection is as clear in our minds and as powerful and as central to the gospel as the cross And is. you know, I keep the- uh, hearing about the, the power of the gospel in our lives. I hear about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of community, the power of uh, discipline, the power of so many things. Why don't we mention more often the power of the resurrection, which gives authenticity and credibility to all of our other expressions of, uh, well, we're talking good power here, not bad power in the church. Right. Yeah, the good power that we have to live the Christian life. Oddly enough, I think you're right. You, you mentioned this to me the other day, <laughs> that the resurrection is weirdly neglected when we talk about uh, kind of the uh, the empowerment of God's people to carry out God's work right. and to usher in the new creation and on and on and on and on. Yeah. In fact, it really is the power 
that gives power to all those other powers you <laughs> yeah, named. That's what I was right? trying to say. Yeah, without the <laughs> without the resurrection, the community and the word and a million other things don't actually have much power yes. in them. It's a starting point. Mm-hmm. And I love why oh, do you forget ahead, that? Rick. Yeah, you know, Bill. Yeah. Bill, it's a, a starting point for all of our other expressions about uh, how we can live out God's power in our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I can just quote Ephesians chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His in. Compar- incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the <laughs> mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Mm. That is so good. Yeah. And it's at the core of the Christian life. You know, as you said, Bill, it's this power that's flowing. Like, our, he's praying, oh, come on, Ephesians. You Mm -hmm. need to see this. Your hearts need to open to this. This is vital and core. If you're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, you have to get this. This power released in the resurrection is the power at work in you. you Okay, we all need to pause for a second and go, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we? That power is available right now in us. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And oh, that's enough pause. When we, yeah, okay, that's right. It's enough dead air time. Um, and the life of Jesus, uh, we read the life of Jesus, and when I read the Gospels, I get excited, I get engaged. But well, what if at the end of the Gospels, the crucifixion would have come, and then, boom, that's it. Yeah, we're all just yep. real sad, yep. and it's another martyr yep. yeah, another story. Martyr. There's another religious book. Uh, yeah. The Bible gives good advice for social ethics and happiness and that sort of thing. And its chief figure, that being Jesus, is now dead. And we read his words and we gain inspiration from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot different than the risen Lord who, uh, that, that's the exclamation mark. Right. On the whole life of Jesus. Yeah, we use the word transformation for, you know, the Christian life. Christians are not primarily just nice people who subscribe to certain beliefs and codes. Christianity is an actual radical regeneration of the heart. It's a reorientation of life because we believe that the world we're living in is fundamentally different and the resurrection explains that difference. Mm -hmm. And so, belief in the resurrection is core. And I'm just interested, Rick, as you're out there, there's got to be some skepticism around this. What are what are some of the things that you talk about or you um, hear from students? Yeah. Well, I uh, have written down here nine reasons to believe in the resurrection. <laughs> I don't think we need to necessarily get to all of them today, but let me mention two or three here. And then I think one of them leads right back into the material you have, Jana. But uh, Number one, the resurrection fits like a glove with the rest of Jesus' teaching. So in Mark 9.31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. And you can comb throughout the Gospels and see references on the part of Jesus 
to either his resurrection explicitly or his second coming. Well, how could he come again if he dies and never rises? Uh, His uh, uh, references uh, to the new heavens and the new earth, uh, the references to his going to the Father, how is that going to happen if he is permanently dead? So the resurrection fits with the rest of his teaching. Secondly, it fits with the Trinity. This is one I don't hear very much, but if you have a dead Jesus, you don't have a Trinity. But apparently Jesus believed in a Trinitarian uh, understanding of, of God. And uh, in John sixteen ten, it says, I am going to the Father, for you can see me no longer. Mm-hmm. Well, God can't be killed. If Jesus is the Son of God and is crucified and isn't raised, then he's not the Son of God, apparently, because God can't be killed. And that's part of the logic. And these were some of the texts the early church had to deal with as it was formulating the uh, uh, doctrine of the of the Trinity, this logic of well, how could Jesus be here and be the Son of God and be praying to God? Uh, God isn't in two places at the same time. Well, then if he goes to the cross, is God killed? <laughs> and so, were those were the sorts of logical conundrums that the early church dealt with in uh, creating the. Uh, in developing, I should say, the doctrine of the Trinity. And so uh, Jesus' resurrection then fits right in with the Trinity and was one of the, uh, the, the, the facts that the church dealt with as it uh, developed the Trinity. And then thirdly, uh, the resurrection completes our salvation. So, uh, John, this will, I think, lead into some material you have. Uh, Romans 4.25 says, Uh, He, that being Christ, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So the whole idea of Jesus being raised and our being justified are brought together. That the resurrection is our launch into the new creation, into new life, going from darkness to light, going from death to to life. <laughs> All those themes are tied up in the resurrection. And so there's uh, an existential part of the Christian life that is really tied to this uh, historical fact of the resurrection. Right. And in fact, uh, theologically, it's interesting to tie the doctrine of justification. So sorry, we're being a little geeky here, but to tie that to the resurrection, because justification is often tied to the cross. Cross, We've paid, we are justified um, in our sins, yes. and so um, it's the cross that does that. But here, here you're putting Romans four twenty five that says actually what really justifies us is the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And if and if we were playing checkers, I would go to First Corinthians fifteen fourteen that says, "And if Christ has not been raised, <laughs> our preaching is useless, and so yes. is our faith." And that would be checkmate. Yeah, amen. Amen. I might Bill. have confused the games, but you know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> checkers and chess. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's something like that. I lose, right. I lose track of games like that. Yeah. yeah. Let me take a little break. We'll come right back as we continue our discussion on the resurrection with Rick Matson and John Fonts. Be right back.
So glad to have Rick Manson and John Afonso with me today. Rick is a national apologetics specialist and evangelism coach for InterVarsity. He's been doing that for years. And Jonna is the worship and community life pastor over at Salem Covenant Church. And our topic today is resurrection. And Rick, I love these nine points you had going. I only shared three, but I think I'm going to be begging for more. Yes. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Well, one that gets talked about a lot, uh, which I think is a really great reason to believe in the resurrection, is the incredible transformation of the disciples. Of you know, after Jesus death, they kind of don't know what to do themselves, do with themselves. They were hoping for this military Messiah. Instead, they get a suffering servant. The servant goes to the cross. Now he's dead. They're huddled behind closed doors. They're scared. They're defeated. They're, they're timid. And then Jesus appears to them and they don't quite get it. It doesn't dawn on them at first what this could be. But as it does dawn on them, and, and as Jesus proves himself to them over a period of 40 days with multiple appearances and so forth, suddenly you have this explosion and transformation of these timid disciples into a force of nature. Uh, they become these bold, loving missionaries into a very hostile world. Right. Uh, ready and to by die the way, for their faith. Ju- yeah. Just a shout out to the girls. It was the chicks that got it first. <laughs> I just want to say that. I love it. <laughs> it was Mary and the other Mary first who got it and believed it wasn't the uh, slow footed, slow witted disciples who caught on. And eventually they did. Uh, well, now, after the resurrection and after they come to believe that, now they've got the risen Son of God to serve, Lord of the universe, mightier than Caesar. And mightier than death. Mightier than death. And unafraid of dying yeah. for this faith. Yes. In this Roman context where the greatest thing in the world was the empire of the Romans, yeah. and it was uh, Caesar. And their chief weapon. Their chief weapon. Yeah, being <laughs> death, which they exercised freely. Mm-hmm. And so now you have this transformed group of supercharged disciples going out into the world on this bold mission, and the world is hostile. And so they believe in the resurrection so strongly that they're willing to go out and be tortured, (laughs) uh, beheaded, fed to the lions, skewered on torch poles, martyred, persecuted, and this goes on for 300 years. They believed in the resurrection. They were willing to die for it. My question is, hope this isn't too confrontational, do we believe in the resurrection? Does the resurrection affect our lives that way? Are we supercharged by the knowledge of the risen Christ, who is Lord of the universe, who is greater than the powers in Russia, in, (laughs) in Europe, in the United States, in the Oval Office? Do we believe in that uh, risen Lord? And are we willing to go out and sacrifice uh, for the, the kingdom that 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 the risen Lord inaugurated. Amen. And, you know, it's really interesting, just in the light of the transformation in their lives, um, along with that apologetic, there's just the historical Jewish understanding of the resurrection, that it would never have been a single individual as a kind of first fruits, as Colossians says, but it would be this massive 
everyone, sort of the Messiah comes, resurrection happens, and the whole world is new. And so this kind of um, bifurcated, like, we're given the first fruits, we're given these first tastes of new creation, and then there's this in-between time, just would have never been thought of by any Jewish audience. And it is the Jewish Christians that bring us this story of the resurrected Jesus. Yeah, why would Jews make this up? <laughs> Think about first century Palestinian Jews who uh, wrote the Bible or wrote the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Why would they make up this Jesus? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense unless it happened. Of course, then it makes a lot of sense. But if you were going to create a second God? No, don't do that. Not in Jewish. Not in, no not in Judaism, no. And and not in the Roman Empire. A second God that is going to become a rival to Caesar? Don't do that. Right. If you care about your life, uh, don't do that. And why create a Jesus who's friendly to Samaritans, uh-huh. who uplifts women, who defies all of the cultural... So uh, offensive. Yeah, Such it is an offensive, offensive Messiah. Who eats with uh, sinners and is tainted by them and becomes unclean. That's not the Jesus you would invent. That's crazy. Jewish, right. Person. Unless it actually happened. That's right. That's what makes the most sense of this particular Jesus, and you're willing to die for it. Uh, Here's a quote for you, Jonna. Bill, Rosie, hi. (laughs) Uh, Martyrdom proves sincerity. Mm. Martyrdom proves sincerity. You're not going to go out and get tortured and martyred for something you didn't believe in completely with your heart, mind, and soul. Right. So this is not a trick, and this is not, in fact... As Rick and I were talking uh, just before the interview, this is even secular scholars, while they may not believe in the resurrection, they believe that the early church believed this. Yes, exactly. Like there's no doubt that these people believed this or they wouldn't have taken the path that they took. Yeah, and put themselves on the line for 300 years of persecution. Right. And uh, Tacitus, one of the enemies of the faith, said that the Christians were punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty. I don't even want to know the details of what the utmost refinement of cruelty is. Yeah, so degrading, so painful, so destructive. <laughs> and um, and actually, we know very quickly in the church, martyrdom became a huge honor. Mm-hmm. And martyrdom, if you if you were martyred, if you, you weren't considered, like you were actually considered worthy of that. I mean, the language used in the church means that they didn't think that martyrdom actually was the end of anything. Right. Right. right? It was instead the, the, the ongoing, the continuation of a powerful movement that death could not stop. Right. Does that mean you and I and, well, maybe Bill is ready to be martyred. I don't know about you and I, but Bill? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm okay. Pick me. Pick You're me. You're all in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can I, read this. I was. Go ahead. I was just loving your description of Jesus. It thrills me to hear who he who he was. And then I think of, you know, Mary showing up at the tomb and Jesus sending her back, go tell the others. So really the first evangelist was a woman yeah. that had a bunch of demons mm-hmm. cast out of her. Yes. <laughs> She's called the apostle to the apostles. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah. he just turns everything on its head. I just yeah. love it. And the uh, the series The Chosen picks up on all that and makes Mary Magdalene one of the main characters. I think that's so cool. Wow. Better too. Well, dead air, Bill. 
Where do you want to go next? <laughs> no, no, I, I got no, a bunch I, of more reasons, but uh, I think no, Janowa has some implications too. Yeah, I was just thinking about the the descriptors of Jesus and how mm. I think as believers, it's always good to have reminders of our great and awesome Savior, and we can we can say this out loud every day, and I will never ever get tired of mm. hearing it or saying it. Yeah, yeah. It, it um, a contemplation of Jesus, meditation on who He is, and falling in love with Him. I believe Amen. is one of the greatest antidotes to sin. Mm. Um, I agree. And those destruction to really truly fall in love with that Savior is and Jenna, powerful. I know we can meditate on the cross. That's a good thing. Sacrifice, mm-hmm. the power on the cross. Can we meditate? On the resurrection Oh, my as goodness. Well? We need to. Okay. We need to. <laughs> In fact, um, some, of the, some of the things that I've been thinking about lately, and this is thanks to a few authors, so I just want to say that I'm really not that smart, but I read really smart people <laughs> like N.T. Wright and Tim Keller, who are just great thinkers about this. Um, the first thing that I think about when I think about meditating on the resurrection is do we truly understand what came out of that tomb? Do we understand that Jesus' resurrection is the starting gun of new creation? That as Jesus came out of that tomb, the whole new order of creation that God has been thinking about since it went off the rails at the fall began. I mean, his resurrection is more than just a demonstration of God's power. It's not one more miracle that was done in Jesus' life. His resurrection is qualitatively different than Lazarus or the widow of Nain or other resurrections that Jesus did. Those people um, had human bodies and those human bodies died. But Jesus is given a new creation body. His body is different than ours. It operates outside of the limitations that Jesus had before Easter. Jesus' resurrection is more than just like this miracle that sort of suspends the natural order. It is actually a restoration of the natural order that God had intended the world to have. So this body that Jesus walks out of that tomb with is the first being in new creation, the first salvo of new creation. And it guarantees our Uh, resurrection. It's this new creation, this renewal of the world that actually is the um, the renewal that we look forward to. It's that first surge of power um, that, again, gospel talks about this over and over. Um, Yeah. So more walked out of that tomb than I think we like to, that we, that we often picture. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just a, a Jesus. It was like, Everything that God wanted for creation from the beginning walked out of that tomb. That's an interesting thought, Shana Fonts. Yeah, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, continue our great discussion on the resurrection. Rick Madsen, Shana Fonts are my guests. We'll take a short break and be right back.
Rick Matson and John Afonso today. Rick is a national apologetic specialist and evangelism coach for InterVarsity. He's been doing that for decades. He's also the author of Faith is Like Skydiving and Other Memorable Images for Dialogue with Seekers and Skeptics. John is the worship and community life pastor at Salem Covenant Church. I often get them together and I love it. And today we're talking about the resurrection. And let's, if we can, to start this half hour, talk about uh, hope, the hope that we have as Christians. Yeah. Well, it seems like hope gets talked a lot about in the church, and it's the hope in the spirit. It's the hope in community. Uh, those are good things. I'm not against that. Uh, it's a kind of subjective hope. But, uh, John, I'm wondering if you could just talk for a minute about the hope that we have in the objective fact of the historical resurrection, the greatest event in human history and what hope that might give us. Maybe we're at a funeral. Maybe we're going through hard times. Maybe the new creation isn't quite as new yet as it should be. (laughs) And hope fits into that. And I think you've got something to say about that. Yeah. Well, I think that this resurrection, it's ultimately the foundation of any hope Hmm. that a Christian has particularly in the midst of suffering and evil and destruction. Um, Those kind of forces in our world don't displace our hope. And it's because we have this crazy story. We have this story of um, a horrific murder of an innocent person, Jesus, who never really did anything except help people and care for them. He is, uh, there's a whole like, political conspiracy between used to be enemies, they kill him. And then because of the resurrection, that very story becomes the most beautiful salvation story. We know it becomes a revelation of God's love to us. It becomes the transformation of the world. So there's this crazy, not the way of the world pattern in salvation in which God saves us through death, (laughs) that Hmm. whatever form death takes on, whether that's rejection or weakness or sacrifice, as followers of Jesus, we don't fear these things. In fact, we recognize that every time death knocks on our door, when it is knocking on the door of our lives, we know that resurrection stands right alongside to make us new, to transform our experience of loss and suffering and evil. We strangely, as Christians, die in order to live. Hmm. And when you believe that, when you believe that death is the way that God is going to bring you alive at a whole new lever, level, at a whole new way, it just, you don't have to be scared anymore. You don't have to be in despair. You don't have to be ruled by fear. Ultimately, every experience of death for the Christian united to Jesus Christ is 
an experience of resurrection. Yeah. And could you say a little bit more about the broken world we live in? Mm. You mentioned new creation. Mm -hmm. That's great. I believe in that. (laughs) I look out the door and, yeah, it's partly new. It's kind of a mess (laughs) It's kind of a mess, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've got the geopolitical scene and the forces around the world. And so how do we respond to this idea that the world is still pretty broken? So the nature of creation that stepped out of that tomb was an already and not yet new creation. So there is this, we live in this kind of in-between time. Jesus has come first, but he's coming again Mm -hmm. for complete fulfillment. And we live in this in-between time where new creation is kind of coming to us out of the future and breaking into this present and giving us these tastes and experiences of new life, but it isn't fully here. So there is this nature always for us as believers of the already and the not yet. And our danger is if we collapse into either side. So if we think that um, it all is already, like it's all here, then we can end up collapsing into a kind of prosperity gospel or a lot of triumphalism where we're marching around with a lot of arrogance. Or if we collapse into the not yet, then Mm. we can become despairing and weak and a kind of desperately trembling in the dark, hoping God's going to show up at some point. And let me just say out loud, we all have those moments. Mm -hmm. But to live with the truth that already it's breaking through and it is not yet here fully is this powerful tension that'll just breathe life into everything we have. So I have just an example of this. Um, When we think of the church as the community of Jesus Christ, it is already the community mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and it is not, not yet. yet. What? We're not perfect? Right. So we mm-hmm. can have confidence that God can bring revival and transformation through the local church, but we also know that not yet our error and evil will be part of the church, and we shouldn't be too harsh and critical and, and, and running away from imperfect congregations or imperfect leaders, because we know this is the nature. It is the community of Jesus Christ, and it is not yet. Yeah, and so the the fact that it is here, the kingdom of God has come the first mm-hmm. time in the person of Jesus, that should give us a sense of confidence. And yes. knowing that it's not in here in its fullness yet should give us a sense of purpose. Yes. Now we have work to do. That's right. We're part of this subversive team that that's here that the king left in order to sabotage the work of evil forces, the work of darkness. We're here to undermine that and undo that and reveal the goodness of God that's coming to us from that future perfect reign. The that subversive Jesus will have. the subversive weapons of love. Yeah. And truth and justice. caregiving and, and justice. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's a, that's a purpose right there. And I think it does fit into this theological vision of, yes, it is here. There is something here. It's not completely in the future. Right. But it's not completed yet. And right. living in that tension is something uh, that it, j- just thinking about that should keep us, as you said, in our churches and we're, imperfect as they are working for reform inside the church and working to establish the kingdom outside the church. All right. That's a really helpful reminder. Mm.
And I think that, yeah, well, I think sometimes people can kind of, I feel like part of what gets lost in the resurrection is it's that not yet part (laughs) that we lose out on how powerful the resurrection is because we notice that not yet nature of it. And I'm always like, hold them in tension. There's that already there. Don't forget those moments. Come back. Um, return to all that God has done with you. Remember the already and don't get lost in the not yet. Mm-hmm. Nice. Really nice. Maybe we can chat a little bit about some of the objections. Sure. Well, one reason I believe in the resurrection is because the resurrection is the best theory out there to account for the data. So there's, you know, a few classic objections. One is that Jesus was just resuscitated like Lazarus. It's sometimes called the swoon theory. <laughs> I've heard of <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's yes. an <laughs> odd name. I think of the word swoon in different contexts, but uh, swoon theory means that he came back to life kind of on his own somehow. But if we know anything about Roman crucifixions, right. these guys like were... He wasn't quite dead no, yet right. or something. <laughs> these guys yeah. are thorough. <laughs> Uh, that's how they built an empire with being thorough. And so they went to the cross and they poked him in the sides and blood came out and water came out and they didn't need to break his legs because he was already dead. Um, And then he's encased in sheets and he's buried in a tomb after this exquisite torture. And he's in there for three days with no medical care or anything. And then somehow he gets up and he somehow rolls away a big stone and overpowers the guards. And yeah, the swoon swoon theory is uh, not... uh, It just takes way more faith than a resurrection does, you know? Yeah, Uh, appears in risen form to Mary, the disciples doubting Thomas. He's 90% dead. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. If it made sense, then I might uh, hold to it. Uh, Secondly, the objection is made, well, someone stole the body. The empty tomb is a fact because someone took the body. Jesus died and then someone took it out. Well, did the Jews steal the body? No, they want Jesus dead. Did the Romans steal the body? No, they also want Jesus dead. They're the ones who crucified him. And why would they do it? Well, maybe the disciples stole the body. That's what the Jews paid the guards uh, to spread that rumor. But ah, the disciples, I can imagine them coming uh, that night and some unarmed disciples overpowering Roman guards. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, the guards yeah. sleeping and the, the disciples coming and rolling the stone away while the guards sneakily, are sneakily, quietly, quietly, quietly while the guards are still there. And anyway, why steal the body? They didn't even know about the resurrection yet. Right. It wasn't their doctrine yet. They weren't trying to establish a resurrection uh, they were the, they were the skeptics, actually. Right. Well, Mary, obviously, at the tomb we have recorded, she's even like saying to the gardener, where have they taken exactly. his body? Yes, where you have know? they taken his body? And she's the one that goes back and announces it to the skeptical disciples. And when Jesus appears to them, they make him prove himself. So <laughs> they don't have any, they're not set up yet to steal the body and create a resurrection motif because they don't even quite believe in it. They are the skeptics. And then now uh, you can talk about, well, the disciples were deceived by a hallucination or the disciples uh, created this mass conspiracy with all these people and then died for it. And, you know, the objections like that, I think, fall pretty quickly if we 
uh, put them under the examination uh, relative to the to the resurrection and what that really uh, explains. So, Bill, I can go into some of those details if you want, but I just want to say what? that if you go kind of step by step in this stuff and read some of the literature from Michael Lacana or William Lane Craig or Stephen Evans or Greg Boyd, there's a whole bunch of uh, Paul Eddy here at Bethel. They've So much good work has been done on this, and if you just read it, it's pretty convincing. Yeah. I go back to the swoon theory you had, Rick, mm-hmm. and I think, well, wait a minute. If he was beaten beyond recognition mm-hmm. in the <laughs> Romans, they were, they had perfected crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, so they knew what they were doing. When a prisoner was condemned, the guards were no longer held accountable for their behavior. And, and gu- they, gu- yeah, guards were killed. They knew how to, <laughs> yeah. they knew how to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. And if he, if he didn't quite die, and three days later got himself out of a hundred pounds of burial wrappings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. And somehow moved the stone aside and appeared to Mary. When the first thing Mary, when the first thing she would say was, "Wow, do you have a lot of cuts and and yeah. uh, aren't you a mess? Yes, aren't you a mess? And how do you she get out of She saw a glorified body. She that's saw right. a glorified mm-hmm. Jesus. That's mm-hmm. right. So that's one theory. I'm sorry, goes out the window. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. And like like um, Rick and I were talking about, just very few, even scholars who don't believe in the resurrection think that the early disciples didn't. did in fact yeah, believe yeah, in the resurrection. They're, they're pretty convinced yeah. that and their they behavior did. proves it so they weren't deceivers then the disciples probably were not liars or fooled let's say let's say uh, what could be a theory of the disciples being deceived maybe it was a mass hallucination uh so okay maybe you were fooled and see a hallucination for a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, but hours. And 40 days 40 days yeah. and multiple mm-hmm. uh, appearances by Jesus, multiple people in a whole bunch of different contexts, and you all come away with the same story, the same hallucination? I don't think so. Yeah. Jesus ate, drank, talked. He allowed himself to be touched by them. He proved himself to them. And if this was a hallucination, where was the body? Where's the corpse? Yeah, good point. Huh. This is great stuff to think about. We've got some nice comments coming in from listeners. I will take a break. We can address some of that. Rick Matson and John Afonso are my guests. We're talking about the resurrection. And as we come back, I think we're going to continue to talk about some more objections that we have heard over all of these centuries. And we'll be right back. They're my guests today. Loving it. We're talking about the resurrection. If you missed any of this, I think you're going to want to go hear it from the beginning. That's my (laughs) recommendation. You go to MyFaithRadio.com. Go to the Afternoons with Bill show page. You know how to do all that. Anyway, some great uh, comments and questions have come in. Um, We, uh, the question was, what role do you see the Holy Spirit place in the now? We're discussing about the the now and not yet. Yeah, that is a perfect uh, question. 
because it really is Jesus' resurrection that sends us the Holy Spirit. Um, the Pentecost, that coming of the Spirit, is a direct effect of the resurrection. Jesus could send the Spirit to us because of his death and resurrection, removing the barrier between us and God. Uh, So uh, the way I like to say it is Jesus tore down one temple, the Temple of Solomon, and we see that in the tearing of the curtain. And and in his resurrection, he establishes a new one. And that new temple is you and I, individually and corporately as the church. Um, The Holy Spirit comes to reside because of the resurrection. Um, It comes to reside within the believers. So how awesome it must have been for those early disciples to actually see Jesus and talk to him. But, you know, they didn't have his uh, unfettered attention. He was limited. But when he rose from the dead, he was able to send the Holy Spirit to us. And that is just a, um, it's, it is, it, so our experience of the Spirit is exactly because of uh, the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to think about sort of um, a couple gifts of the Spirit. Let me just throw this out as, as just a, something to meditate on as you're thinking about what the resurrection has. Um, Again, what else came out of that tomb when Jesus walked out? Um, The truth is it gives us kind of three freedoms. Um, And again, this off the top of my head or off the top of Tim Keller's head in specific, but um, we can be free from any fear of guilt or shame. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Jesus took the penalty of death and the curse of the law and freed us. We no longer ever need to feel guilt or shame. Jesus has um, paid the price for us. We can be free from the fear of death. We've already talked about that a little bit. Clearly, the martyrs were. Um, it tells us, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that when Christ rose from the dead, he rose the reigning king, and his kingship is right now. He's putting all dominion and authority and power under him. All his enemies are being put under his feet. And I love the words of the English poet George Herbert. He says, death is no longer an execution but is a gardener. (laughs) Death uh, no longer removes you from love. It only actually ushers you. It plants this seed so that you grow into more love than you ever could have imagined. And the third freedom is we can be free from other authorities that would enslave us. Uh, Colossians 2, 14 through 15 tells us that Jesus in his resurrection disarmed the powers and authorities, and he makes a public spectacle of them. He, he um, parades them um, in, in captivity to him. So we actually need to no longer look for significance, security, or identity, or meaning anywhere else. Jesus frees us from all those other authorities that want to tell us what we're worth and who we are and uh, keep us safe. We need none of them now. Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is Lord over all of those uh, authorities. And so death is defeated, and and it's in death that you find shame Yes, and guilt, all forms of death, evil, all, all those things are in death. And so, yes, the crucifixion deals with them. 
but then the resurrection overcomes them. Right. Oh, my goodness. Right. Yeah, the price is paid at the crucifixion, but the triumph comes at the resurrection. Yes. We are no longer in their power, and we have this unrestricted access to God yes. that no one in human history before the resurrection could have imagined. And we can uh, have the resurrection power for ourselves then. Yeah. By the power of your spirit and at uh, Grace Church locally here in Roseville, where I go, our pastor's preaching through this section of uh, John 14 through 16. And it's that whole (laughs) narrative, the whole dialogue with the disciples about, okay, I'm about to go away. I know you're going to grieve for a while, but it's actually better that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit. And it's only when I go away to the Father, when I'm resurrected from the dead, that I can send the Holy Spirit back to you and you will be enlightened and you will be empowered for living. Right. Yeah, the resurrection does not promise that all the circumstances of life are going to go smoothly, but it does give us hope that we can be turned into the kind of people who can handle whatever circumstance life throws at us because we have the Holy Spirit, the very living resurrection power of Jesus Christ within us, empowering us to be overcomers. And we come back to that beautiful verse you led in with, Bill, Ephesians 1, you know, this incredible power of the resurrection at work within us. So good. Yeah. This question that uh, popped up, did Jesus appear to non-believers post-resurrection? I don't recall that being documented in the scriptures. Uh, Two examples would be uh, James, the brother of Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, James is converted uh, late in the game. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So there's one. And the second would be Saul, who becomes Paul. That would be two two people that uh, Jesus appeared to. Of course. That's awesome. Yeah, and James is, was, I think that's a wonderful example because our, you know, our only picture of his brothers are a picture of skepticism, mm-hmm. mockery. Yeah. I mean, the brothers do not look good. No. And then suddenly in Acts, James appears as Where did this, he come from? Yeah, wondrous, wise leader in the Jesus movement. Mm-hmm. So his encounter with the living Christ was transformative. Yes. Yeah, and that he didn't come to faith until after the resurrection. Right, yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. That's a, a brilliant conversation because I am so pleased that we're having it. A, because I love the power of the resurrection that is alive in all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think we all need to remind each other of that. That's right. And that's encouraging. And that gives us hope. And it reminds us that despite whatever circumstances we might have in life, we have a greater hope than whatever we're going through in this fallen, broken world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is just so true. And for me, just, um, you know, my passion as discipleship uh, um, is that it is the resurrection that makes sense of the teachings of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, many of the teachings, you literally can just roll your eyes and say, well, that sounds pie in the sky. That won't work in this world. Unless Unless. (laughs) new creation is breaking in and the invitation of Jesus is live according to new creation, live according to the already and do not let the not yet stop you from experiencing the wondrous power, the amazing life that new creation offers. The son of man will be coming in the clouds. 
yeah. he's only coming on the clouds if he rose from, from the, the grave yeah, the first right. time around. That's right. And that's what Easter is about. Yeah. Mm. I love Philippians 3.10. I think of this verse often. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection mm. and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Amen. That cross-shaped life mm. of yeah. death into resurrection and God is the one that brings that resurrection and Jesus resurrection is what gives us the hope of being able to live into that one of our first mm-hmm. themes we talked about this hour was the neglect of the resurrection oddly enough in church teaching I'm not saying it's completely absent right I am kind of suggesting and you got mm-hmm. me thinking about this Jana how underplayed it is You just don't hear about it as much as you think you might. We hear about the cross a lot, as important as that is. Yes. But the cross without the resurrection is just a death. Yeah, it's a tragedy. Yeah, and it's really the resurrection that accredits Jesus as the Son of God. The Son of God doesn't just die and go to the tomb. The Son of God is raised to new life, and that ought to be more of a centerpiece in church life and church teaching than it currently is. As well as in our evangelism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. InterVarsity, <laughs> I hope you're listening too. <laughs> All my colleagues out there in Ivy. Rick, and it's kind of a bummer I don't get you thinking about anything. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you sound anyway. so much like my wife right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah. for the discussion today on the resurrection. I love Thank I you, Bill. It. Great thank to be with you. you. Yep. Yep. John Afonso, Rick Matson have been my guests, and that's our show for the day. I love being with you, and I can't wait for tomorrow. I hope you have a wonderful evening as you lay your head on the pillow. Know that God's got a wonderful plan in your life. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.